All right, so let's turn to Numbers chapter 30. If you have never been with us on a Wednesday night before, um, it's a different approach to teaching um, than on Sunday morning, where we may take a handful of verses, a smaller portion. Um, Wednesday night is a survey, um, and so we're going to cover chapters of the Bible. Um, that being the case, I'm not going to read every single word. Um, um, I'm hoping that each week, because you know where we left off, that you're reading ahead and you're taking the time to get read up. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up there in chapter 30. We have some tough uh, ground to go through. There's going to be some things we're going to read here tonight. I will make an attempt to give a bit of an explanation, but it's difficult. Um, it, these are challenging things we're going to read. Um, and you're going to have to just, um, you're going to take some time to ponder them and take these to the Lord. Um, we're going to see um, how the Lord is faithful to this nation and how he prepares them to enter into the promised land. Let's go ahead and begin there in verse uh, chapter 30. I want to read the first four verses. Here we're going to learn about women and vows that they took and whether or not they would be um, accepted by their father or by their husband and how was that supposed to work itself out. Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel saying, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man takes a, makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all the proceeds out of his mouth. Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself and her father holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand. And every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. Let's go to verse 5. But if her father overrules her on the day that he hears, then none of her vows nor agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. Um, I'm sorry, one more verse. If indeed she takes a husband while bound by her vows or by a rash utterance, and I think that's a key verse or a key phrase right there, by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself and her husband hears it, makes no response, same thing, then she's got to keep it. If he overrides it, verse 8, then um, she will be released from that. So this is how it was working. Now, there, in, in one instance, it's kind of similar. Um, I think all of us are glad that our, our teenagers, whether they are our daughters or they are our young teen, teenage sons, we're glad that they cannot go and financially obligate us to things. There's laws that prohibit that. So, you, you're, you know, your 13-year-old can't go out and get a mortgage. Say, oh, by the way, Mom, uh, Dad, I got a mortgage, um, and you're going to have to pay for it. I didn't mean to, but I just did. So, no, we, you can't do that. So, uh, we, we do have something that touches this and is similar. Um, and and the, the key here, especially in the case of overturning it, the father and or the husband is determining that that was a rash Utterance. So made a commitment um, to do something to or for the Lord, but there was not sufficient reasons for making that commitment. And so uh, the person who was financially in charge of that household was the one that was going to have the final say on what took place. And so th that's what we're reading about here. I think what's important for us to know, though, is when the Lord, or when we make a vow to the Lord, or somebody in our house makes a vow to the Lord, um, in the land of Israel, you are to carry that out. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5.4 says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Um, pay what you have vowed. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Our words should be such that when we say something, um, it is going to be carried through. That's in relationship to one another. So here we are under the new covenant. So can we just make vows to the Lord all day long and not carry them out? No. We need to carry out those things we tell the Lord we're going to do. Um, we all have made a, entered into this covenant to have him as Lord 
Jesus taught and said, why do you say, Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I ask? So there's a full expectation of God that we're going to walk in obedience to him. So I, th I think we need to evaluate ourselves and make certain that we are doing this. Now, there's a, an example, a, a well-known example in the Old Testament where a woman goes and she makes a pretty incredible vow to the Lord. Her name is Hannah. And she's there in the, and Israel goes to the town of Shiloh, is there where the ark was and was worshiping. And she vows, Lord, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. Elkanah, her husband, um, upon finding this out, does not overturn that vow. He allows it to stand, and so her son, their son, Samuel indeed, ends up coming back and is raised there at the, the tabernacle. So this is something that is uh, just it's guidance for them. Um, as we move into chapter 31, this is a, this is a hard-to-swallow chapter here, at least a portion of it. Um, so let's go ahead and, and read this. It's a bit of a follow-up. It's a direct follow-up, really, to how the uh, Balak um, got the women of Midian to go down from Bel Peor to go down into the camp of Israel at the instruction of Balaam and to seduce them into worshiping their false god through um, sexual rites. And so... Um, thousands, tens of thousands of people died because of that. Well, the Lord is now going to exact vengeance upon uh, Midian for that, that um, seduction that was uh, carried out against his people. And Balaam is going to end up dying um, as a result of it. The judgment is going to come upon him. So let's read a little bit here. Verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. So this is your last act. Um, do this, and then um, you're going to pass. So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm yourselves for war, and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel shall, uh, you shall send to war. So there were recruited from the divisions of Israel, 1,000 from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. Then Moses sent to the war 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to war with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, with the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hand. And they warred against Midian, the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. Evi, Rechem, Zer, Her, Reba, the five kings of Midian, Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. And the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones and took as spoil all their cattle, all their flocks, and all their goods. They also burned with fire all the cities where they dwelt, and all their forts, and they took all the spoil and all the booty of a man of man and beast. Verse 12. Then they brought the captives, the booty, the spoil, to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and to the congregation of the children of Israel, to the camp in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And Moses, Eleazar the priest, and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over thousands and the captains over hundreds who had come from the battle. And Moses said to them, have you kept all the women alive? Now, just don't read any further right there. Why does this make him so mad, knowing what you already know about the Midianites? Why does he, it's like you, can you hear his voice? You kept the women alive? Are you, there's almost followed up with, are you kidding me? Why would you do that? Why is he so upset that they kept him alive? Verse 16, look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore kill every male among the little ones, all the little boys, and kill every woman who has 
known a man intimately, but keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. And as for yourselves, remain outside the camp seven days. Whoever has killed any person, whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves and your captives uh, on the third day and on the seventh day. Purify every garment, everything made of leather, everything woven of goat's hair, everything made of wood. Then Eleazar the priest said to the men of war who had gone to battle, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything that can endure fire, you shall put through fire, and it shall be clean, and it shall be purified with, uh, with the water of purification. But all that cannot endure fire, you shall put through water, and you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and be clean. So they, they go out, they have this great victory, and yet there's, it's not a complete, the battle and the, uh, and the war is not over. The, the men have been put to death, but the women and the children have been kept alive. The women are put to death because they actually were more engaged in the destruction that came to Israel and held responsible. They were seducing people to worship other gods. And so they are held responsible for that. Just like the men of Israel were held responsible for their sin in this, this act. So it wasn't, um, you know, women versus men. It, but everybody is, is being treated who sinned in this case equally. And so I think we can, we can kind of understand that. But then we, we come to and kill the, the young boys and you can take the, the virgin uh, young women. They can come and they can become a part of uh, your homes and, and, um, and all that goes on. So we read this like, God, that seems harsh. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, I can sit here and say, you know, this is, makes perfect sense. But I think all of us realize this is something that is hard to read. So how do we make sense of this? I think we can make sense of the men of war, you know, being dying on the battlefield. We can even make sense of the women who um, led the nation of Israel astray. But why the young boys? Um, and... I think the best answer, and we'll be here in a couple of months, but turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 through 19. But of the cities of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. But you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. And here it is, verse 18. Lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. So the reason why was so they would not be led astray. I would, although I admit this is still a hard thing to read, I would encourage all of us to pump the brakes before we begin to question God's wisdom and knowledge and understanding in these times. You're like, well, I just don't think it's right. Well, let me ask you this question. Do you think that as we read through the rest of the Old Testament, we're going to see the nations that were not driven out end up being a benefit or a harm to the nation of Israel? They're going to harm them. God knows this group of people. Remember, this is the group of people that God waited 400 years to bring judgment upon. They, the children of Israel down in Egypt grew and 400 years went by. And then finally, the Lord brings them out and he's bringing them out to bring judgment upon them for their wickedness. When you think of these people, you need to be thinking of Sodom and Gomorrah. You need to be thinking about that kind of uh, evil, that kind of wickedness that was going on. And this is what was happening. So while we read this, and it's a hard read, I think we need to step back. We need to understand that God knew these people far better than we do. And the other question that we ask is God in a hurry to, to um, destroy anyone? God's not willing that any should perish. So 
I will step back and I'll say, yes, this is a difficult passage to read, but I know why God's doing that. He tells us why. He doesn't want them to become an influence later. And so, um, and we've already covered this earlier. They were not able to just take these young uh, girls and treat them poorly and, and just rape them. There was laws against that. There was specific laws that they could marry them, but they had to treat them well. So um, it's hard for us to understand this, but that was the law of God in those days. So I think when you read this, you have to understand that the Lord sees the, the long game here. He's seen it for 400 years. He knows what this people that's been entrenched in their idolatry and in their, um, uh, their murderous ways, he knows what they're like, and it is time to, uh, for them to experience judgment. I will remind you that when Israel makes the same mistakes and falls into the same idolatry, that the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites were engaged in. When Israel does this, do they get a pass? No, they don't. God brings the same judgment upon them. And this is how he uses the Assyrians and he uses the Babylonians. God judges sin. And so um, this is, I think, something else that helps me just kind of frame up a difficult passage like this. But let's, let's, let's move on. In my opening prayer, I said that the Lord um, has these things written down for us, we read in Scripture, for our learning and our admonition. Okay, well, what do we possibly learn from this? I mean, we, we're, the church does not have geographical borders, right? We don't, we're not an ethnic group of people. We're not commanded to go out into holy war. So what's the application? The application is, how do we deal with the flesh in our life? How do we deal with those things that seduce us? And so we're told how to deal with these things in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. And here the Lord is speaking to us and he's telling us how we ought to deal with those things that lead us astray and lead us into temptation. The very same Reason um, and instruction he gave uh, the nation of Israel on how to deal with theirs was to cut them off, get radical with these people. I mean, it's, it's hard to read. Matthew 5, 27, let's read. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Okay, dig your eye out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast in hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from your body, or cast it from you. For it is more profitable for, for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast in hell. Now he's using hyperbole here. And he's speaking to us of how radical we need to get with sin in our life. That we don't tolerate it. That we don't just kind of, um, you know, pretend like we're trying to deal with sin. But we actually, we're just, we never get radical with it. We never annihilate it. And we allow it to exist and we allow it to go on. And so when you look at your life and I look at my life and we see those areas, and let's just talk about uh, like besetting sins, those things which are common to us, where we know that we can easily fall, the question is look and see what leads you down that path. What is it that's leading you down there? Now, then get radical with it. Don't tolerate it. Don't accommodate it. And you will find, I mean, that... Your, your excuses will be right there. You, you'll say, well, you know, but everybody has a problem or everybody does this. And, you know, well, I can't get rid of that and I can't get rid of that. I can't, I can't do away with that relationship. I've got to keep this relationship. And, I, I mean, this is where my friends are. I've got to go there. And yet, those things are all areas that are leading you repeatedly into sin. And when you say, hey, you need to get rid of that, you're like, hey, don't, don't judge me. Don't judge me. You don't tell me, to. I've got freedom in Christ. Not if it's causing you to sin, it doesn't have freedom. 
It has a death sentence is actually what it has. And so the, the challenge for us in this passage is to look at those areas in our life and if there is an area where we're repeating, listen, we can fall in sin in many different ways, but I just want, let's just talk about those areas where you repeatedly fall, then you need to deal with that and you need to get radical with that. And I think this uh, chapter 31 in Numbers with the Midianites is a, a passage that makes us cringe a bit. Good, now let's look within. Let's examine our life. Lord, what is it that needs to be dealt with? And give it no space to live. So, written for our learning and written for our admonition. Now, in verses 19 through 24, um, uh, begins to talk about how they should go through the washings or the fire. And then in verses 25 through 54, we're in chapter 31, uh, we get a, a list of, of the spoil and how it's divided among the soldiers, among the people, um, among the lords, uh, and given to the Lord. 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, 32,000 people, 440 pounds of gold. 7,000 ounces. I looked up how much an ounce of gold was today because kind of curious. $2,000 an ounce. That's a little bit of money, don't you think? This isn't counting the silver and these other elements that are there as well, or the animals. So you're talking about tens of millions of dollars um, that they took in this spoil. And, of course... The one person that's notable that is taken out in all this is, is Balaam, um, who gave the advice to Balak in the first place to send uh, the women who were idolaters down into the camp to invite the Israelites who are set apart for the Lord uh, to do this. So um, chapter 31, it's the last scene for Moses, the last uh, event that's going to take place. Moving on into chapter 32, um, the two and a half tribes are going to come to Moses and they're going to ask him if they can not go into the promised land. And they're going to seek to have um, their, make their residence on the eastern side of the Jordan. So this is going to be Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. So let, let's... In verses 1 through 5, you, um, you have the, the leaders. Uh, you can see their names there in verse 3. The leaders come and they ask, hey, we've defeated Og and we can, uh, defeated um, uh, you know, these great uh, kingdoms on the east. And where we are, it is great pasture land for our cattle. And we have a lot of cattle. Can we just stay here? And, and then they bring this question to him. And Moses is going to respond, verse 5. Therefore, they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. And Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now, why will you discourage the heart? That might be a good word to underline right there, discourage. Why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going to war or going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. So he's going back, hey, we've already gone down this road before. We sent spies, in, we sent spies into the land, and when they came back, 10 of them said we shouldn't go. And so everybody got discouraged and nobody wanted to go. Now you're saying you don't want to go into the land either? I don't want to do this again. It discouraged them then, and I'm afraid you're going to discourage them now. Verse 9, for when they went up the valley of uh, Ashkel and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel, so they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they have not wholly followed me. So he's like, listen, this is not going to happen. We're not going to do a repeat of this. And so he is telling this. Now, well, why would have this discouraged them? 
because they were about to go and fight battles. They were about to go fight giants. They were about to go fight and come against cities that had tall walls like Jericho. And he's like, you just want to enjoy the benefit of the war that's already been fought. You had everybody fighting, and now you want to stay here. No, I I don't think this is going to be the case. Well, they end up coming to a conclusion, and the the tribes say, listen, I'll tell you what. Let us just get over there. Let us get our family settled. Let us get our, our, um, our flock settled, and then we will come, and we will fight with you until the land is settled. And this ends up being agreeable. And so they say, okay, yes, come on over. That will be, you can stay, you can have this land as long as you come and fight. Um, But if you don't, watch out. (laughs) You've got to do this. There is a discouragement that happens, not just in the wilderness wanderings of Israel, but there is a discouragement that happens so easily when others decide not to follow the Lord. You have felt it, you have experienced this. There's somebody you know, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a spouse, Maybe it's a child, maybe it's a former pastor or somebody that led you to the Lord. Maybe it's just a brother or sister in the Lord that you know. And when you see them pull back from the Lord, maybe they walk away from the Lord or they just pull back. And they don't want to be as, a, as, as committed. They don't want to be as involved in the kingdom, in the ministry, in the service. Then it, I have seen this happen so many times. I have seen the enemy seek to use this in my own life. Is it, does anybody else relate to this, or am I like the only one? Okay, I'm, I'm t- so I have seen this happen. I can remember one day so clearly, um, and you know, it, it's, it's, enemy, it's interesting how the enemy works, and the scenarios he paints in your mind you, that you feel like are circumstances and situations, um, you know, and you respond to it before you even know what the, the end product of, of that event is going to be, and a lot of times it doesn't even turn out the way you think it is. And in one of those instances, um, you know, it was, this is going way back. I mean, even to the, our, like our very first building we had. So it was going back a couple of decades. And um, there were some people that um, stopped serving. There's somebody else that said, I can't do this anymore. And it was a smaller congregation. And um, I remember being so discouraged and, um, and just feeling it, just feeling discouraged and then the Lord said, what about you? What are you going to do? And he said, are you going to quit too? <laughs> These people didn't really quit, but this is the moment I'm having with the Lord. And he goes, are you going to quit too? And um, I'm like, Lord, no, I'm not going to quit. And he says, you, have, you do not have permission to ever qu- uh, quit doing what I've called you to do. And I'm right, Lord, if everybody else stops doing stuff, I will keep doing this. My point is simply this. It is discouraging when we see people that are gifted um, and not serving or people that walked with the Lord and have stopped walking with the Lord or people that were once right there involved in everything that was going on and encouraging and now they're not. It has a discouraging impact. And so we need to be aware of the impact that we have upon people when we pull back from following what the Lord has called us to do and serving in the way that he's gifted us and being used in the way that he wants to use us. And so be mindful. This is not a decision that's only going to stay within your own um, experience. Now listen, if God's moving you on or leading you in a different direction, by all means, go do that. Go do the next thing. But if you're just doing that because you're discouraged, then understand that you're going to discourage people too. And that's what Moses discerns right here. He goes, if you do this, you're going to discourage the people. Galatians 6, 1 through 5 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. And here it is. For each one shall bear his own load. And that's the word that he's saying to these two and a half tribes. You've got to bear the load. We're a congregation. 
We're a group of people that are following a plan that God has put out. You can't just be on the other side of the Jordan and hang out there and, you know, enjoy all the benefits of what everybody else has done in winning this war and then um, not come in and put forth effort. And I would say the same thing. I would say the same thing to you. You, if you are a, if this is your church, if this is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have been given a spiritual gift and you need to be serving. Now, listen, it's not like, I mean, we need some help. We do need some help in, in areas of ministry. It's constantly, has anybody noticed we're growing? Has anybody noticed that? Yeah. Was anybody, on second service was, we, I don't even know how we got this many people in the building. It probably was not legal, actually, but it was that, there was a ton of people that were here and and we've got to, we have to minister. And it's not just those that are here. It's everything that else that takes place. Now, I, I mean, I'm just going to take the moment. It is wonderful to have so many uh, of the Liberty students and the college students, not just Liberty, but the college students here in this town. And they come in and, and they bring, uh, you know, excitement and they bring joy. But they all, they serve. They serve a ton. They're getting ready to go away. They're going to need, ask April. Are you in here, April? I don't know. She's probably over there. But April's going to need help um, in the children's ministry. And so, um, hey, if you know the word of God and you're not mean, then, you know, we want to invite you to come over there. And um, put your name in there. Say, all right, April, I will do whatever you want me to do and help. And so... Um, uh, you know, listen, it's a it's, it's challenging time because of summer and all of those um, amazing servants that, that step away. So thank you, um, college students. But we all have to bear our own load. And I'm just, I'll be very bold. What are you doing? What are you doing? Are you bearing the load with your time and helping people out? Are you bearing um, uh, the load with the gifting that you have in serving? Are you bearing the load financially? So you seek the Lord and you find out. Um, if you are, then the Lord is going to say, well done. And if you're not, well, fix it. That's the answer. That's, that's the answer. Don't you think? I mean, it's just the answer. Go fix it. Don't, let's, let's just be done with it. So anyway, they, you know, he says, listen, you can't do this. Now, here's the thing that I find sad. These two and a half tribes don't want to go into the land that God said I'm going to give you. Now, they're going to be allowed to do that, and they're going to be over there, but ah, have you ever laid out an exciting plan for somebody, and they're like, not excited about it? I wonder if the, this is how the, now the Lord allows them to do it. So, well, the Lord allowed them to do it. He also let them have quail. Remember that? And that didn't turn out so well. It ended up coming out their nose. And so, I, I, I look at this, and the, you know, these are going to be some of the earliest tribes that fall to the enemy and fall, fall to idolatry. They're going to be outside the borders of that fellowship, that uh, announced plan that God had for them. And so um, I think this becomes representative of how many believers don't really... The, the, it's not that they're not part of the congregation or part of the family or part of the body of Christ. They are, but they just choose to dwell like just over here. I'm just going to be, I, here's where everything's happening. It's all right here, but we're just going to be right over here. And it's, it's, it's close enough, but you know, you got the Jordan River, you've got mountains, you've got all these things that kind of separate, and it's not what God had. And so I look at this and, and the many others do too, and just like they just decided to go with plan B rather than God's plan A. Can you do that? Yeah, you can. But it doesn't, it doesn't turn out well for these two and a half tribes. And those who choose to live just a little bit away from the mainstream of what the Lord is doing, it, it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well for them. And so I encourage you to get in the middle of what's happening. Don't chew around the edges of God's will. Get in the middle of it. Yeah, but I can be on the edge. Okay, you can be on the edge. But it's easy to fall off when you're on the edge. Get in the middle. We're living in a day and a time where, man, the enemy is on a rampage 
ripping through the church of Jesus Christ. Does anybody, do you see this? Yeah. That's the best thing you're going to hear all night right there. That hopefully will stick in all of our minds. Yes. The little children say, watch out. Get in the middle of safety. Be right in the center of God's will. Okay, you can do that, and you can do this, and you can be on the other side of the Jordan, and you got special permission, and you're not out of the congregation. You're still a worshiper. You're still a Christian, but you're not engaged in, in the middle of what God wants to do. And so I'd encourage you, don't let that happen. So uh, 20 through 42, Moses agrees to the terms and warns them about don't give up on your, your, your agreement. Um, chapter 33, um, very quickly, verses 1 through 49 is a summary of their journeys from Egypt to the Jordan. You can read those on your own. And uh, verses 50 through 56, he gives them instruction. Um, so just look at, look at verse 52, chapter 33, and, and you're going to see it. It's a bunch of D words that he's going to give them, all right? Verse 52, then you shall drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, and demolish all their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it, for I have given you the land to possess. And you shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the larger you shall give a larger inheritance, and to the smaller you shall give a smaller inheritance. There everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. Now look at verses 55 and 56. But, and this is, this is an important one. If you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. If you let them live and you don't drive them out of this land, it's going to be a snare. And once you're snared, I'm going to do to them what would have happened to them if you would have obeyed me. So, again, it's a sin issue. This is not an ethnic issue. It is a morality, sin, worshiping God issue. And so he gives them this strong warning. Into chapter 34, again, fairly quickly here. Um, they're given the borders I'm not going to sit there and read all of the, the allotment of these borders. Um, we know that down through the ages, even to this very hour, the borders of Israel and even Israel being in the land is disputed. And there is the stated goal of uh, many to drive them into the sea. So this image that you have up there right now, it's uh, in the green is the... Uh, the land, the borders that God describes here in chapter 34. And then that section that's kind of highlighted red, um, or it's got the red line around it, that is the two and a half tribes on the east. So between the green and the red, you have this, the Jordan River that's dividing them, and then you go up the slope into the, the plains of Moab, up the mountains. And so this is the land that they wanted. Um, and so th this is the direction um, you can read in detail um, about this. It was, they were chosen people. God is giving them the land. And he says, here you go. I want you to have this. It is my gift to you. Drive out the influence. Don't let them remain there. Again, I would just give and apply this to, there's many ways we could apply this, but I'm just going to apply it quickly this way. Um, in verses 16 through 29, you see uh, men that are responsible for dividing the land and giving uh, you know, the allotment and the portion to each of the tribes. Parents, you have a similar responsibility with your children. You have a similar responsibility to make certain that you're raising them up in the ways of the Lord. And that you're doing everything you can to uh, help them inherit the promises and the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus.
And so be mindful, be tough. Don't be harsh, don't be mean, don't be, you know, um, you know, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you got to be t- if you're going to be a parent, you got to be tough. <laughs> you got to be willing to say no. And it's like, you know, my kids, why do you always say no? I say, listen, I say no to myself 10,000 times more than I say no to you. And one day, you're going to have to do the same thing. So just get used to it. <laughs> you think you're hearing no a lot now? Just wait. And then you're going you're gonna to say no to yourself if you follow the Lord far more than you have ever heard me say no to you. And, um, and that is the reality. But we've got to be willing to, to, to do that. You know, as your children grow, there's going to be battles that are going to be fought. But what you want to do is you're wanting to bring your kids into the ways of the Lord. You're wanting to bring them to the place where they will um, inherit. And I'm just going to give this one simple exhortation. Be careful of your schedule. That you don't make it so busy. It's going to be busy, okay? But don't make it so busy with every possible endeavor your kids can be involved with that you have no time to engage in the corporate life of worship. Because what's going to happen over the course of time is you will have taught them, maybe while never saying it, but you will have taught them Other things are more important than the corporate worship and gathering together of the saints. And so when they have, you know, said no because of academics to church, they said no because of band or because of plays or because of sports or because of social outings and events and you name it, all the things that we can do. And listen, we did a lot of it. We did it. But if you don't make church a priority while you're raising your kids? Do you think it's going to be a priority when they're older? What they will have learned is that other things can crowd that out. So you got to bring them into the promised land. You got to get them inside their inheritance. And going to church is one aspect of it. It's not the whole thing, but it is one aspect. But I just, I just want to warn you. And so listen, talk to Rebecca about this. You know, she can tell you Um, When your kids are small and you're bringing them to church, you know, a lot of times you're going to go home and you're going to have major meltdowns on the way home from church. And trying to get your kids into bed is going to be like, you know, the worst war ever recorded in the history of mankind. There's going to be tears that are going to be flowing. And it might be yours that are flowing, actually. And so, and you're, you're just, you're going through this. And, you know, I... So many times we just knew, you know, right? In the evening times, it's going to be a late night and the next morning is going to be difficult. And we decided that's, that's just what it's going to be. It, it didn't kill them. They all lived perfectly fine. I mean, I don't know about us, but I mean, you know, they, they made it just fine. So it was late nights getting the homework done. They came in, some of you were around back then, you, you, you saw... My kids walking in with their cleats on and, you know, they're, dirt, they're sweaty from football or from, you know, softball or cross country or whatever it is. We just came in. You know, we're not, Rebecca wasn't always here at 7 o'clock, but we were here. And they were here. And there was a few exceptions when it was like, a, you know, some big deal. I, I'm just... I'm just telling you, if, if you want the things of the kingdom to be a priority, then make it a priority. If you don't make it a priority right now with your kids, and you just think, well, I figured you would have made it a priority, watch out. And as, as sure as I'm saying this, some of you are like, we did all that. And our kids aren't walking with the Lord. Yeah. The enemy is on a rage, and he is ripping through the church. And those are heavy things. Were uh, Troy and Rebecca perfect parents? No. Were you? No. None of us were perfect parents. But you know, my kids knew that Jesus was a priority in our life. They knew that it needed to be a priority in their life, that we were going to follow the Lord, and when Dad made mistakes, Dad was going to apologize, and we were going to keep on pressing on. So do the best you can. And, you know, walk in grace with your kids and allow the grace of God to come into your life. But make it a priority. So these are the guys. 
16 through 29, they said, you're going to inherit the land and this is what you're going to get. That's who you are, parents. You, you, have, you have some, you know, some tribal lines um, and you want them to inherit these things. So don't lose heart. Keep pressing on. Chapter 35, we've already read about this um, earlier. And um, I, think, I think we got this, um, I think it was in Leviticus we got this, where um, at least the second half where we see cities of refuge. But, of course, the, the, the Levites, they did not inherit the, um, they didn't get a, an allotment of land. And this is the section that is for the Levites. Um, the Lord was their inheritance, but they still had to have a place to live and, and you know, uh, raise their crops and, you know, take care of their animals. So verses 1 through 8 of chapter 35. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they give the Levites cities, so not territories, but cities, to dwell in from the inheritance of their possession. And you shall also give the Levites common land around the cities. They shall have cities to dwell in, and their common lands shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for all their animals. The common land of the cities which you shall give the Levites shall extend from the wall of the city around a thousand, uh, wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around. It's very specific. And so in all, what we end up finding is they end up with 48 cities throughout the land of Israel. And this is where uh, those who ministered, um, there at the tabernacle and later in the temple, they had these locations and they would go and they would they'd do this. Now, in verses 9 to the end, we come to something that we've already read about previously, and that's the cities of refuge. You can put that map up there. And um, this is a map that it just it shows you, you got you know, the, the Sea of Galilee in the north, you got the Mediterranean to the left, you got the big you know, Dead Sea down at the bottom. You have... Three cities um, from south to north. You have Hebron, you have Shechem, and you have um, uh, Kedesh. And then coming down on the eastern side, you have Golan, uh, Golan, Ramoth, and um, Bezer. And these are the cities of refuge. So what was a city of refuge? Well, let's read a little bit. Verse 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. And say to them, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you. That the manslayer who kills a person accidentally may flee there. They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger. That the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of these six cities which you give, you shall have, and of these cities you shall have six. And then he names where they are. So, you're out in the field, you're working, um, you are um, chopping wood, and the axe head is getting loose, and you're not paying attention, and the thing flies off, and it kills somebody. It wasn't intentional, but you have committed manslaughter. Well, it was very common that the family would take vengeance, and they would just kill you. So your job was to run as fast as you possibly could to one of these six cities. And of course, where you were living um, kind of determined uh, where the accident happened would determine where you ran. You were going to go to the closest one. When you got there, you would report to the elders of that city. Um, they were well aware of who they are and their responsibility. They would hear it, the case. And if they determined, yes, indeed, this was uh, an accidental uh, case, um, then they would protect and you would be safe as long as you stayed inside the city. But if you decided you wanted to go home, say, yeah, it's been long enough, I'm going to go home, and they ended up taking your life, then that was on you. You had to remain in that city um, until you died or until the high priest died, at which time when the high priest died, um, then you could return home. So, um, the cities of refuge were, they were not difficult to find. Um, they were open for anyone to come running into. No one would be rejected. And um, there would be an evaluation. And then that city would provide protection. And this is a great picture of who Jesus is. He is our city of refuge. 
He is the one we run to. Listen to these verses here. Romans 10, 8, and 9. Think about how Jesus is not difficult to find. Just like one of these cities. Knew exactly where they were spread throughout the nation of Israel. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is a word of faith we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will find a refuge. You will, you will be saved. And so there was a physical city of refuge, but the spiritual refuge we have today is in Jesus Christ. And so we can come to him. And he has made it easy for us to receive this salvation. We must confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. Uh, Jesus is open to all who come to him. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will, uh, will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Now, if you went into a city of refuge and you had committed murder intentionally, you would be cast out. But you know, in Jesus, if you come in repentance, nobody is cast out. And Jesus is the only refuge. I mean, you, you, couldn't, you had to go to one of the six cities. You couldn't go to a city and call it a city of refuge. You wouldn't find salvation there. Acts 4.12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It has to be Jesus. He won't reject you, and it's, he's easy to find, and he stands with open arms. In verses 29 through 34, um, it goes through what has to happen if um, there is murder, not a, you know, an accidental uh, case of manslaughter, but if there's murder, and it talks about how there's going to be judgment. There needed to be two witnesses, verses 29 and 30. Talks about this, um, all right? It couldn't just be one person's word. There had to be a testimony of two. Um, and, um, you know, that, that convicted person in verses 31 and 32, his life could not be ransomed. He was going to pay. She was going to pay the price for the murder. And in verses 33 and 34, let's read it. It says, you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except the blood of him who shed it. Therefore, do not defile the land in which you inhabit, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. And so the Lord says, this don't, if you don't deal with um, the taking of innocent life, you're going to defile this land, you're going to pollute it. Since 1973, 63,459,781 children have been put to death in their mother's womb. That's a lot of blood. And who could argue that these are all innocent? They're all innocent. I mean, you, you could say they're not, they're innocent. Um, in 2018, 619,591 unborn children were aborted. <laughs> We have polluted our land with blood. And um, it is only God's grace and his mercy that has not consumed this land. And I, I just encourage you to, um, to be in prayer. And I, I mean, if you've come here for any amount of time, you know that I am much to the disappointment of many of you. I am not political. However, this is not politics. This is human life. And I believe that when we show up in the polls, human life ought to have a high priority. It'd be at the top of what we're thinking about and what's leading and guiding us. It shouldn't be our money. It shouldn't be the defense of our country. It should be like little innocent people. The Lord has a special place in his heart for the fatherless. And he defends them, and he calls us to do the same. So where you have opportunity to do good, you do good. May God have mercy upon our land and the polluted land that we have become. I don't know. I'm not prophesying, but if you look at the craziness in this country, I just, and I said this to Rebecca the other night, I'm like, yeah, we deserve it. We deserve the craziness that is going on. Um, so am I throwing my hands up and walking away? No. We're, we continue to pray for revival. We continue to pray for repentance to, to break out across this land. And I believe that it can happen. 
it needs to happen. Well, chapter 36 concludes it. And um, um, remember those uh, daughters of Zola, Fahad, who came and they're like, hey, my dad sinned and he has no sons, but do we get to inherit our uh, a portion of the land? And it was ruled that, yeah, these daughters would indeed get a portion of the land. Well, another question comes up about that in chapter 36. And it's like, well, what if they marry outside of the tribe? What if they marry outside? Is the land going to go to um, others? And so um, just I'll let you, you read it. But the answer is hey, these, these ladies have to marry within the tribe of Manasseh. And as long as they're within the tribe of Manasseh, that land is going to stay. But if they want to marry um, into the tribe of Judah, um, then they are not going to be able to take the land and take it over into that to the tribe of Judah. So their husband, who's um, a descendant of Judah, could not then say, great, now we get all the land of Manasseh. No, the land was going to stay and we go to the nearest relative that was a male. Um, and why is that? Because the Lord didn't want the inheritance to be lost. He wanted it to remain um, within that tribe. It was a perpetual inheritance that was being handed down. And so, um, uh, again, I think you can take some time and think about the, you know, how in Ephesians 1.3 that we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Take some time to read Ephesians 1 and read of the blessings. We've been chosen. We've been forgiven. We're part of God's eternal kingdom. We have an inheritance. We've been sealed by the Spirit. We have uh, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in us. This is, a, this is our inheritance. And so we need to walk in it. We need to experience it. And we shouldn't give it away. We shouldn't walk away from it. So I think that would be the spiritual lesson we would take from this. And of course, um, Jeremiah chapter 2, the Lord rebukes the nation of Israel because he says, you have left your God. Check out the other nations. They don't even leave their gods. They're faithful to their idols. But you have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And you, you've dug out for yourself cisterns rather than the fountain of living water. You could have fresh spring water, but you chose to dig a hole in the ground and catch rainwater. And that's what you want to drink. But that, that cistern, that hole in the ground you dug out, guess what? There's a hole in the bottom of it, so it doesn't even hold water. So you've forsaken me and the source of life for nothing. And so our inheritance is in Christ. Don't forsake what you have been given. And we have been given so much. We are spiritually wealthy. Everything we need for life and godliness is found in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth that's contained. We go through these stories, Lord, some of them, these accounts, they're hard to read. But we thank you that you've, you've given us the opportunity to dig in and to ponder. Written for our learning and admonition, we're not going to go conquer a land. But Lord, there certainly are souls out there that need to be one for you. We certainly have received an inheritance and we need to make certain that we walk in the fullness of it. We certainly are raising kids in the next generation. And we want them to receive all that you have for them. Help us, Lord. Give us grace, Lord, as parents, as grandparents, as brothers and sisters within the church to see these young people grow up and for the older people to not depart and go away. So, Lord, we ask for your grace. Lord, we, we know that, Lord, our, our country um, has shed so much blood and that, as we read here, it pollutes the land. And, boy, Lord, as we look around, it is a polluted land we live in. But we ask for mercy. Lord, we ask for you to pour out your grace that you once again would bring a spirit of conviction Upon us. Send your spirit who convicts the hearts. May your truth go forth and may it go forth as truth. Lord, generation, a whole generation has grown up with the idea that there is no truth. I pray that bottom would drop out, Lord, even tonight on them. 
They would see the folly of living a life without truth. And they would cry out for something of meaning, something that's solid. And Lord, you are the rock. So Lord, we pray for a revival. We pray that you give us voice in our neighborhoods, in the schools, at our workplaces, out in the community, even with our own families, Lord. And that you'll have mercy and that you will bring a revival to this land, Lord. We certainly don't deserve it, but that's why we're asking for mercy. And we believe that you are a God of mercy. We thank you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.